When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. Today, special draft episodes the morning after the 2019 NBA draft. And I have draft expert Cole Zwicker, co founder of the Stepian. He's worked for the Phoenix Suns in the past year, and he just knows everything there is to know about all these draft picks and prospects. So I asked him to come in today. He was nice enough to stop by for about an hour and a half, breaking down every team's draft from Atlanta. We start there, we work our way alphabetically to Washington. And if you want to jump ahead and listen to one of your favorite teams, you're welcome to do so. But otherwise, without further ado, my draft conversation with Cole Zwicker. Thanks for having me, man. I've uh, been catching up on your podcast. I heard a couple of the pre-draft as far as you sorting through statistically, like what translates historically with free throw percentage and three-point percentage. So uh, this should be a fun one. Yeah, it's it's interesting for me because uh, I historically have not done a huge amount of analytics work. You know, back in the day, it was watching a lot of college basketball for me and eye test stuff. But lately, I've really been trying to catch up on things that forecast or project that may be a little outside the box. So I, I've I've been jazzed to have someone like you who, you know, is really we're the draft guru, if you will. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually blend analytics in the eye test. That seems to be a foreign concept across many avenues of the Internet. I, I know, know you're on kind of the front line of that. <laughs> I know. It's a challenge. Every day I'm bumping my head up against that. Um, <laughs> let's start. Let's do this. I, I thought we would just run from Atlanta all the way down to the Washington. I mean, if we if we want to even talk about Washington, my goodness. Uh, but just kind of oh, work, work <laughs> kind of work our way through some of the teams from last night and some of the key notes. But before we even do that, based on what we just talked about with analytics, a lot of draft Twitter, if you will, or analytics heavy Twitter experts, one of the biggest things I noticed last night was this massive divide between certain players on their boards and where they ended up. And if I, I have your board up in front of me, I see, for instance, like you had Brandon Clark third, I think, in your final iteration. Is that right? Yes, sir. And then Grant Williams, seventh. So just taking those two players to start with or anybody else that you thought was interesting, what what do you think causes this massive schism? Is it that the draft is really flat or, you know, that that was the thing that was kind of running through my head as the draft was progressing last night. We have these guys where a lot of people, almost a consensus, if you will, seem to be very high on these players. And yet teams were just passing over them, over them, over them as the draft progressed. Yeah, I think it's in two parts. One, I don't think executives viewed this class as good, which is a very fair assessment, frankly. And you might have just seen teams draft for a position of value as far as a skill set. So you take Cameron Johnson at 11. I didn't think that was a very good pick, but you at least had the best shooter in the class. So I think maybe executives viewed it that way. And of course, in every draft, we get the youth 
plus athleticism equals upside argument. And I think that is the divide between players like Brandon Clark having him in the top five of my board, Grant Williams at number seven or so. Those guys are older players and they don't have the measurables. And Brandon Clark, six eight with a six foot eight and a half wingspan. Grant Williams undersized for the four at seven foot, you know, seven, six, nine wingspan, six, ten wingspan. So these guys don't fit the popular kind of archetypal analysis of what normally goes at the top of the draft, which are usually one and dones and these guys that have this quote-unquote upside. In reality, I'm just looking for good basketball players in the draft. I don't care if they're young. I don't care if they're old. And in this class, a lot of the good basketball players are upperclassmen, and that's just kind of how you have to adjust. Do you think, you know, it's almost making me think of the 40-yard dash in football. Do you, th- there was a lag for a period of time where maybe wingspan, functional height, standing reach, some of these things weren't on the radar. And now is it almost like we've maybe put too much emphasis on them in, in some uh, team's prep where, like you said, you're maybe losing track of how good someone is already, uh, how their feel, where they play, and the fact that they're 21 and don't have an enormous wingspan or hand size maybe is being overvalued. I think you hit the nail on the head with a specific term, and that's functional. What you do with your tools is what matters. If you have a seven foot one wingspan, if you're a crazy athlete, if you're Andrew Wiggins and you don't utilize all these different functional elements of your game, what's it really worth? And I think that's where you see a guy like Brandon Clark, where you're like, okay, six, eight and a half wingspan, but his timing, anticipation, his quickness off the floor as a leaper, just a generational kind of functional athlete. So he can compensate. And I don't think he's getting enough credit for that. And that also incorporates the feel element. So, I mean, anticipation, all of those things really matter. And I think that is the difference between like my board and NBA thought is that NBA teams think they can teach a player how to play basketball. Whereas I think it's much easier to teach a Brandon Clark who has really good touch to shoot a catch and shoot three point shot. Yeah. I mean, certainly there are some teams better than others at skill development, but that's actually something interesting that maybe you can speak to as we go through some of these guys. Let's start with someone like Deandre Hunter. Speaking of you know, <laughs> wingspan, athleticism, <laughs> defense. Uh, you had him in your tier two of players, I believe. Yes, number nine in your tier tier. Oh, sorry, tier three. I keep forgetting that Zion is his own. <laughs> Zion's his own <laughs> you tier. To, you have to do that. <laughs> yeah, like do we almost? You know, we can almost like skip Zion. Zion is just Zion. Um, but you had him number nine on your board in that third tier of players. Uh, talk to me about how you see Atlanta being able to develop him, what he has, and maybe the fit there with what they already have, certainly Young and Herter with the shooting backcourt and Collins as, a, as sort of an offensive rim runner, if you will. Yeah, I love the fit. I think this was his best situation in the class once L.A. traded number four. Just the ability to play that tertiary role. I do think that his catch-and-shoot jumper, he has pretty good touch. He's He has good indicators as far as percentages in college. The one issue with him is it's a little slow on the release at times. Everybody quotes the Zion block on him. That was a two-part analysis or probably even three-part analysis. One, the pass was very low towards his like knee level. Two, Zion is ridiculous. And three, it it is a little bit slow as far as the release. And I think that Atlanta's going to be able to cultivate that. But as far as I fit, I mean, just getting a wing defender next to Trey and Herter, they're going to need to insulate Trey eventually if they think I he has the kind of upside that I do. So uh, it, it's a very good fit. I, I had more qualms about the value of what they parted with to move up for, in my opinion, a non-difference maker. So do you? I've heard people say he'll play the three. How do you how do you see him fitting in the certain lineups that they can throw out? Is he a four all the time? Is he is he a three? Is can he play small ball five? Like talk talk to talk to me a little bit more about that. 
Sure. I think he's kind of an offensive four and a defensive three. I don't love him as a four defensively because he's never really been an intuitive backline defender. He's not a good rim protector from the weak side, lacks that quick explosion off the ground. He's more of a perimeter guy. He's always been the defensive stopper in college. You put him on the best perimeter player, he just kind of takes him away. So I think he's much more of the type of Atlanta's not going to have guys who can guard Paul George. And I'm not saying Hunter can shut him down, but is he at least somebody who can give him problems and, and try really hard and exert energy for 35 minutes. But offensively, he doesn't really have the skill set of a three. It's not like he's going to run a pick and roll. He's more of a, a space the floor from the corners, can do some mid-post stuff over smaller defenders, uh, not the best passer, not the best overall creator, which helps in that system. But yeah, if t- it's not a clean fit. I don't see a lot of small ball five. He can hold up, I think, somewhat with his frame, even though he gets bullied by guys like Jalen Smith from Maryland, uh, a bigger kind of power forward slash center. I just don't trust his backline defense enough. His rim protection is actually more concerning to me, like via block percentage and everything you see on film, lack of reactiveness, uh, than it is as far as a steal percentage because he just doesn't gamble with very, very disciplined perimeter defender. So it's funny that you mention Paul George because uh, apparently – the next pick the Hawks took was future Paul George, Cam Reddish. Oh, God. Um, that was, that's, a, that's a Chauncey Billups reference for anyone who also caught the draft. Um, what do you think of that that fit there with what they're building? Really tough night for Chauncey Billups, first and foremost. <laughs> yeah. The Rui Kawhi thing, I literally yeah, we're, almost we're gonna stopped watching. We're going to get to that. Yeah, we're going to get okay. to that. So I like the Cam Reddish fit a lot. He's not Paul George. He's not that caliber of athlete. We He came into his you're at Duke and some people thought he was Tracy McGrady. That's the kind of hype that this guy got. And it was just completely unfounded, but Trey is going to work wonders for him. He's going to be playing a similar role that he played at Duke. As far as a lot of tertiary ball handling, mostly spacing the floor, volume threes, his shooting is a little bit inconsistent for the kind of player that he is, but I do think he's going to refine his technique and he'll be fine in time off the catch. And his his defense is actually kind of underrated, which is the funny part about him is people overrate his offense and underrate his defense. He's actually pretty good as far as team defense, which is really integral around Trey. You need guys who can really, you know, rotate and they know when to, you know, try to play make. He's got good length in the passing lanes. He can switch a little bit and he's got a good frame. So in time, he can probably become like a poor man's Robert Covington or something defensively, which is very good. But that's the kind of defender. It's more of like a team defender than it is a guy who really switches and is like a lockdown on-ball guy. So with the Covington comparison, is it fair to say that if he embraces this role, you're looking at potentially a high-end three and D player let's say the shot comes around you have a guy who's very long very functional can be a good defender and then offensively maybe is not trying to do too much of course his his inability to finish has been the thing I think I've seen most discussed with him is that a fair kind of projection for him going forward I think it is. I think less is more with him on offensively, but he does have the ability to create his own shot. Like if you watch his a two minute highlight reel of his shot making off the dribble, you're like, okay, this guy's a top three pick in this class. It's just being able to refine that and be more efficient doing it, picking his spots. If he has to do that full time, his handle's not very tight. I mean, he can he has some dribble moves, but when you really watch his sample holistically, if he dribbles in traffic, he's getting ripped, he's losing the ball, he's making rush decisions. So I, I like him more in a tertiary role, and that's why I love him on Atlanta. Like Atlanta really strengthen the class as far as fit because both of these guys this was their best fit in the class and getting both I I thought was pretty tremendous so I think I'll ask this of most if not all teams we touch on uh what do you expect for playing time or sort of immediate contributions from these guys next year yeah it's 
kind of depends on how Travis Schlenk wants to build this. We've heard John Collins starting at the center. That That's how they see him as more of a five. So if that's the case, I think they can get both of these wings on the floor early. They're both going to be rotational players. I think they probably start Hunter at the three, Collins at the four, and one of their behemoth centers, whether that's Alex Lynn at the five or whatever they do in free agency. I definitely think both fill a role right away, though, and both can. Like Hunter's going to be NBA ready from day one as far as you know defending in a team construct pretty well he knows where to be he's a pretty smart scheme system player and then reddish i think they'll probably ease in a little bit probably off the bench initially but it wouldn't be completely surprising if both started at the three and the four interesting that would be uh, from my standpoint certainly experimental given collins uh, sort of lack of uh, strength defensively playing the five so that'll be a really interesting run to see if atlanta throws that out they'll be fun this year that that's for sure they're going to score. I don't yeah. know about defense, but they can put the ball in the basket, and that's kind of what they're doing. They don't really have the defensive personnel. I'm still a little lukewarm on Collins' fit next to Trey, but uh, they, they got two wing players. I mean, that's at least a value play in the class. I didn't like the trade-up for Hunter. I didn't think it was a difference maker, but I think both guys fill a role. Awesome. Next team, Brooklyn Nets. They didn't have a first-round pick. Do you have any thoughts on Nick Claxton that you want to get to, or should we skip ahead to the Celtics? No, just really quickly, I think he's more of a developmental big. He really came onto the scene late in the combine. He was one of the best players in five on five. If you watch his tape, very, very good on switching. He's probably the best switch big in the class, but very undersized as far as strength. He's very weak right now. He's more of a multi-year guy, but he's a guy that you can see. People have made the Kavon Looney comparison. He moves even better than that, and he actually has shooting upside. He was cast in a very interesting role his sophomore year as more of the initiator of his team he would bring the ball up at seven foot and kind of try to make plays not going to be his position in the NBA of course but it's nice to see that skill level be able to scale down to a different role I think he'll be able to do some things as a playmaker in very big spaces like as a short role guy for example a very coordinated athlete but more of a multi-year play interesting and and you had him 20th on your board also in that very long flat tier three <laughs> and I think you know, if you say, what can I get at the top of the second round? A guy that you, we've seen it with Looney, if you can be functional in certain areas, you can uh, excel at sort of the simple things defensively, you know, basics as a big, you can play deep into the playoffs. Absolutely right. And I think he's a playoff big. Maybe he's not a starter caliber player because he's going to go up against these you know bigger behemoth centers. I don't think he can hang with those guys. So maybe he's a third big, but he's one I think that gains value in the playoffs. Very interesting. Okay, moving on to the Celtics, one of the more interesting drafts for me, not just because I got all these people I know, friends and family back <laughs> in Boston asking me about it, but uh, I, I was fascinated to see the direction. A, they got Grant at number 22, Grant Williams, uh, tw Twitter's favorite, and then Romeo Langford, old friend who, I mean, I think if you said a year or two ago where he would be, people thought he would be a lot higher. He had the hand injury, uh, the, the wrist injury or thumb, um, and he ended up, uh, where was he on your board? I'm trying to find him right now. I think he was around 17. He was in that big He was in that, yes, he was 17th in that third tier, exactly. So let's start with Lankford. Uh, talk to me about what you see with him going forward. Yeah, I think it really is all about the shooting. It's about the mechanics, and this is not something that's just the hand injury. Like His mechanics are very inconsistent. He kills his wrist back at a very severe angle, so there's a lot of tension in, in his shot. He's always been, even dating back to high school, more of a shot maker than a real shooter. So there are questions about, can this guy make a catch-and-shoot three consistently? He's actually a better shooter off the dribble, which has kind of always been the case because he's always had the ball. How does he play? Does he relocate off the ball? Can he fill a role? Again, you're dealing with like a star-caliber AAU player. Like you said, he came into this year and everybody thought he was going to be like a top-five pick because of this wing kind of shot creator type. 
type. His touch is really good, though. And this is something that I've done in this draft is really give the benefit of the doubt to guys that have touch, improving their shots over time, especially off the catch from three. Uh, he has the dimensions as far as his physical build to be a two-way player. Not the most intuitive defender. He's very lapsy as far as off-ball defense, gives up a lot of back cuts. He's not the greatest athlete as far as dribble drive contained, but he is strong. So I think there is a foundation to work with, and it's a great fit with Boston, who is notoriously very good at developing developing players like this. Yeah, that was the more interesting thing to me. I, I was able to see some additional film on him. Um, he certainly, it, it reminded me of Tatum, in a sense, that you have a guy who has a lot of tools that people potentially were excited about at one point or another, and then maybe some things on the court, whether it's feel or effort, uh, that maybe make people say, oh, okay, I'm going to question him. And yet, if you can develop these things, he definitely is big and strong and foundational defensively. And then I think you spoke to it really well with the shot. He, if, if you haven't seen it out there, uh, not only cocking the wrist back, but it almost like hits the top of his forehead, um, kind of like hits his hair. It's a, very, it's a very interesting place to release some, excuse me, almost out of the 70s. And, um, and yet, still a very talented scorer. I think he was only 72% from the line, something like that. So. That sounds right. Yeah, it was not like a very it was an OK number, but it wasn't like overly promising. Right, right, right. So um, I don't know. That was the my, my thought was, boy, this is potentially another Jason Tatum, where if you can develop the player in a certain way, if you can teach these things, let's go back to what you said. It's easier to teach somebody to develop a, a spot up three. Some of the things I saw with him on tape. I actually think are potentially teachable, you know, relocation without the ball. Even his catch and shoot mechanics seem fundamentally different than the stroke he gets into when he's he's probably neurologically so conditioned to shooting off the bounce that he's just more comfortable than some kind of like idle, very standstill catch and shoot three. Yeah, exactly right. And I think the parallel with Tatum is really interesting as far as when Tatum came out, if people remember, he was viewed as like this mid-range shooter. Like he couldn't shoot threes. His mechanics weren't completely ironed out. Worked a lot with Drew Hanlon. Kind of refined his mechanics and, of course, came out in his rookie year and shot the hell out of the ball from three. So I, I don't think that Romeo was quite as good of a shooter as Tatum ever was. Like Tatum always had touch. He was like an 84% three, uh, free throw shooter in college. I think there's a better foundation there. But as far as an inefficiency, maybe the Celtics, they, they can refine his mechanics and they'll get value returned here. Right, right. Um, Grant Williams, let's uh, <laughs> oh, go. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be coaching the Celtics by midseason. No. <laughs> he's incredibly cerebral. He's one of my favorite players to watch in a long time. Just doesn't fit any kind of archetypal analysis. But really, the guy just knows how to play basketball. You're going to love him when you watch him play. Like his decision making, his like vision on short rolls. If he's ever in short roll situations, he's going to be incredible picking defenses apart there. His skill level is actually really underrated too. Like he's got a really high release. He can get to his pull-up shot over the top of defenders. He kind of compensates for that six, seven size by being able to shoot over the top, even of, you know, six, 11 guys. So I think there's a little bit more scoring there and then team defense, very good rotator. I think at times he even overhelps. He's very, very conditioned to do that, which at times can be bad. You don't want guys to completely disregard their assignments. I think he's a little bit over aggressive there. We'll see about his space defense, though. I mean, that's really what the NBA is going to hinge their analysis on. He moves better. I mean, his lane agility time at the combine, we can talk about the significance of that. It was like a guard. He really does move, I think, a little bit better than he gets credit for. And he's getting docked too much for the lack of shooting. This guy is, he has great touch. If you watch him shoot on the floor, runners, he proved his free throw percentage in his junior year to like 82%. There aren't a lot of guys that do that. 
So is it realistic to think of him on offense as a, a, a pick and roll and pick and pop partner? Almost like it. You you almost don't want to say it because he's so good. But the the Draymond Green comparisons are natural. Where if you can pass out of the short roll, but also potentially make a three, then you can create value that way offensively. Yeah, exactly right. And of course, you don't want to get too grandiose with the right, Draymond. Right. But I mean, like he's like one of the only guys that I can actually say might be able to make the same level decisions as Dre does. He's that smart on the floor. So it's not completely unfathomable. And I think the Grant Williams can shoot off the dribble. Like if you can also short roll him, he can get to a pull up like Dre's not going to do that. He wants to throw the lob every time. So I think there's a little bit of diversity there. He's very good at screen and rescreen. I just don't know if he's going to be utilized that way. That was kind of my issue in the draft. It's like I didn't know where he was going to go destination wise. Like If you went to Portland and you have two guys on the ball with Dame Lillard. He could short roll and make a pass. Zach Collins maybe in, in a reserve unit was a space five. I think that would be an awesome fit. I'm a little curious on how Boston uses him because, as we know, Horford's gone. So I don't, I don't know about personnel-wise, but he can do that stuff, I think. So I was, that's what I was going to leave with here. If we've got no Kyrie next year and we assume Horford is gone as well, uh, I think I think it's safe to say that Langford's going to come off the bench. They, they have a bunch of wings there ahead of him, and we'll probably see sort of a classic uh, first-year development role for him, depending on how uh, ahead of the curve he is, if you will. What do you think with – A, do you agree with that? And B, what do you think we would see with Grant now, knowing that Brad Stevens' kind of system, if you will, what kind of run, what kind of role do you think he'll play right out of the gate? Yeah, I think both guys will end up coming off the bench, but I think both guys are, are going to be rotational players. I think you can play Grant right away. That's one of the, the main pluses of taking him in this range is you get an NBA-ready guy, especially if he can refine in, like strength and conditioning, get a little bit better shape. I think he can lose some weight and even get more agility. So I'm curious to see how they use him. It's just the infrastructure is so different without Kyrie, without Horford. You're going to be relying on Tatum a lot. You're going to be relying more on Jalen Brown. Uh, we'll see if they re-sign Terry Rozier as kind of their, I guess, quote-unquote initiator. And it's just a lot of moving parts. It's hard to really piece Grant in right now in a defined role, but I do think he'll, be, he'll get rotation minutes from the off. Very generous with the quote-unquote there. Uh, <laughs> initiate. I mean, he's very good at initiating shots toward the hoop or yeah. turnovers sometimes. Um, okay, let's move on. <laughs> a, a, a player who I thought, in again, casually seeing some of his film, had some similarities to the things you're talking about with Grant Williams, not necessarily in the same dimensions. Uh, Grant's much stronger in certain areas, but Charlotte Hornets took P.J. Washington. Talk, talk to me about your thoughts on that and the fit there. Yeah, definitely. I can see why there's commonalities here. The passing for PJ is not quite Grant Williams as far as decision making, but very good. Like he's also another one of these bigs who I think can play really well in the short role. And he's already proven the ability to pick and pop and shoot threes with relatively decent volume at a higher level. Like he really improved his three point percentage from his freshman year to his sophomore year. I think he's gonna be able to space the floor off the ball. He can space to the corners. So you're getting that spacing dynamic. A lot of people aren't as sure on his shot because of the free throw percentage. It's still in the 60s. It's not great. But I do think his touch is excellent. Like you watch his touch in the mid post, these runners. I'm, I'm again pretty big on that, so I give some credence. He's not the same kind of team defender as Grant is, though. Like he's faster. Like if you ask him to close out to somebody or like make up distance in a recovery setting, that combined with his seven three wingspan, he's going to be able to get the spots that Grant can't get to. But I don't think he's as intuitive as far as rotations. He doesn't anticipate the same level. Yeah, and so one thing that uh, I've been bouncing around folks for a while is this connection between vision on offense as a function of sort of awareness mentally mapping the court and how that carries over to defense where you're anticipating rotations or you're in place like that and it seemed to me like Grant is far ahead of the curve on both ends there and PJ is like a 
a lighter version of that, right? Where maybe he can pass a little bit and rotate a little bit, but what I saw wasn't quite as crisp or advanced. Yeah, 100%. I think that's spot on. Uh, he's capable, but I, I don't think he's an outlier. He's like this high-level guy there, but he's very, very capable. I do think the passing is underrated. And how do you think he fits in Charlotte right away? Yeah, I think this is, again, dependent somewhat on Kemba returning. If they give him you know, the Supermax and they, they keep him there, I think that PJ can really play well off of him. Like it's, We talked about the short roll. Like, you need a guard like Kemba to really gain the attention of defenses. But I do think he can fill a role. He's another one of these quality players who I think doesn't really scream upside as far as like a star or anything like that. But he's gonna, I think he's going to be a quality starter. It kind of depends a little bit on his floor spacing aptitude as far as degree. You expect to see him at the five? He can play some small ball five, uh, not the most dynamic rim protector, but the length and the strength, I think he can hold position relatively well. So I, considering how much the Hornets tinker with lineups, at least from what I saw last year, I would expect to see them do that, but he's not going to start there. Awesome. Let's move on to the Chicago Bulls. Everyone wants to hear about uh, the Bulls. Um, the Kobe White pick, he was in tier three for you at number 12. Uh, of course, uh, North Carolina's exciting point guard. And before you even get to him, the, the the thing that jumped out to me is that functional height. He's six five, but kind of has more of my like T Rex dimensions with um, you know what maybe a six five wingspan at tops. He doesn't doesn't really play like he's six five, if you will. So so talk about Kobe. Yeah, that's a great point as far as how it applies to the floor. He plays more like a 6'3 guard than a 6'5, and I think throughout the season he was given that credit of, oh, this is a bigger guard, and I don't think functionally it plays out that way. But a guy who really is great pushing the ball in transition, that's his main deal is getting up and down. He really puts pressure on defenses. Naturally, he's pretty improvisational in those areas, so that's good to see. His shot, I think, is a little bit underrated off the dribble. We hear all the time the 27th percentile last year. I think that the four and the technique and all of that, the balance at times when it's not like a forward momentum, you know, high momentum shot where he has to Trey Young essentially hop into a shot in full speed. He can't do that yet, but he's awesome off the catch on the hop. He's going to be able to play off the ball, and that's the main allure with him is that he's more of a combo guard. He's not really going to see the floor at a high level. He's not an engine of an offense. He's not like Trey or potentially John Morant in that area as far as being able to make all the reads and being like a 1-5 dynamic creator for others. What do you think about the idea that when he was in high school, I believe he's the all-time leading scorer in uh, the state's yes. history, right? So what do you think about the idea that in high school he was such a scoring engine and, and so sort of successful and dominant in that area that he never really had to flex his muscle as a facilitator and as a passer, and that looking at that first year of North Carolina, you actually see kind of a rapid learning curve there. Yes, he's still not a great passer, but he's he's shown the ability and the willingness to find people, especially in transition, that kind of popped to me the first time I saw him was the first UNC Duke game, and he did make some decent reads in that game. What do you think about that idea that maybe he didn't have that in his background or his pedigree, and the fact that he's shown some promise there maybe gives the passing and facilitating engine uh, sort of option some upside? Yeah, I, I agree with it. I think that that's also probably what you know NBA teams bought into, is like the improvement that he showed over the course of 
the year at North Carolina as far as making reads. We didn't say anything in advance. Like, I'm not even sure if he threw a skip pass all season. Um, so right, that's right. a little concerning. So, But the progression and like the idea is really fascinating to me because it's not the same argument, but it's like the late, the late bloomers, right? Like how much can they really improve? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like sometimes with Marquise Chris, it's, it's a bad thing. If you're a football player, you don't have NBA instincts or basketball instincts in general. It's a problem. Jackson Hayes is kind of the opposite version of that. So it's kind of an interesting incubator as far as can he improve these playmaking traits with later development? How much does being wired to score impact his ability to really read the floor? Where do you see him next year? What kind of role is he coming off the bench with the Bulls? Is he uh, pushing the second unit in transition? Talk to me a little bit about what Bulls fans should expect right out of the gate. I think that's probably the conservative estimate is that he comes off the bench in more of a high tempo system. You know, they could still start Chris Dunn. I don't know. It depends on free agency. If they get a a starting point guard, I think Kobe can come off the bench. He's not going to obviously start next to Zach Levine and another point guard. So that's the conservative estimate. But it would not surprise me if they can't get that free agent if you start him and just kind of play this holistic system that can run offense through Wendell Carter at the elbows, have a bunch of shooting around him. So it could go a lot of different directions. It's kind of based on free agency. So you don't think they just drafted him for suicides? (laughs) Well, you never know. (laughs) Uh, Moving on, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Very interesting pick from my perspective because, you know, you have a guy who's a shooter in Darius Garland. And one of the things that really helps judging shooting is sample size, actually seeing, you know, it's very hard for your brain just to look at a stroke and understand everything that's going on neurologically with a guy shooting the ball into the hoop. And he only played five games in college. So uh, a huge kind of range of opinions on Garland. You had him 11th on your board. We're still in this massive flat tier three. Uh, Tell me what you think we're going to see next year from sort of a mystery in Darius Garland. I'm pretty confident on his shooting. His pre-college sample, he was like 86% free throw shooter, I think, around about. So very high. He's always been very good off the catch. He grew up kind of as a two guard. So he has that hop into a three down from from distance. He can shoot 30-foot shots. We see a lot of the parallels to Damian Lillard, to Trey Young, as far as the ability to shoot those deep threes in transition. I don't know how effective he's going to be right away, but he's the best in the class at that as far as those forward momentum, being able to be on balance, square up. I do think we're going to see the diverse shooting. He can come off screens off the ball, and they're going to run that dual guard system, of course, with Colin Sexton. The issue is going to be more the passing and actually the deliverance of the ball to other players than it is more, I think, with the shooting when it comes to Darius Garland. So we'll see. Well, I, I really like that you injected sort of where you're confident about his shooting because another thing that I'll look at in small samples uh, obviously you hear about people talking about mechanics but just looking at the shots that he you know took in those five games there were a ridiculous number of swishes and that to me just tells you that he has a relatively smaller margin of error like if you see that consistent shot over and over and over again most people don't realize that have never been up there you can almost fit you can basically fit two basketballs in an nba cylinder the nba cylinder is much larger than a basketball yeah, absolutely. And the switch's point is is spot on. You saw a lot of those very confident shooter, and that's also important, the mental side of that. So that's not my area of concern with him. It's more, is he an actual point guard? And that's a constant theme in this class and kind of why I have all of these kind of scoring guards listed in the same order or in a similar tier area, because... I don't know how valuable those guys are ultimately if they're taking defense off the table. We've seen Jamal Murray. He's thrived, but again, he's playing next to Jokic, who's really their point guard in in certain respects. How Do you buy into the idea that Garland moves well? I mean, that was another question I I saw. Yes, he has off-ball skills, but uh, the movement, the cutting, the speed there, is that something that we can expect if he's playing next to Sexton a lot? 
Yeah, I think he relocates pretty well. He intuitively goes to the three-point line. Not like the most cerebral player, but he's shown a foundation. I don't know about cutting hard as far as back cuts. He's shown a couple flashes of that. I've just not seen enough of a sample to really gauge his ability to shoot into gaps, really play high level off the ball. But he does show enough relocation ability. What about, you want to comment, they had two other picks the Cavs did at the end of the first round. One of them was Kevin Porter Jr. from USC, and the other one was... Uh, a forward from Belmont, Dylan Windler. You want to uh, tell people anything about those guys? Sure. So Kevin Porter is pretty much the biggest wild card in the entire class. Uh, as far as individual shot creation, which the NBA covets above everything else, he creates the most separation off the dribble of any of these guys. It's just the problem is all he did at USC was take step back jumpers. We didn't see him use his athleticism functionally getting into the rim. We didn't see him in a lot of high leverage situations. He wasn't running pick and roll. He was mostly off the ball. He would get swung the ball and then on defense. He was playing in his, own, in his own. So you don't really know what to do with this sample. It's just he's a very talented shot creator. He was at the Hoop Summit over a year ago playing against the 2018 draft, which was in my opinion, one of the best we've seen in, in recent memory. And he was the best player on the floor as far as creating a shot. So that's the kind of upside, I guess you could say. Does he fit into five-on-five basketball, especially playing next to Colin Sexton, Darius Garland? None of these guys are very willing and able passers. So we'll kind of see where that goes. Dylan Windler is much more straightforward. You know, one of the best shooters in the class off the catch. He can shoot 30-foot shots off the catch consistently. His rebound, rebounding numbers, I think, are a little bit inflated by the defensive role he had. He was a lot. He was playing a lot in the dunker spot, so he got a lot of easy boards there. But really weird athlete as far as how he moves on the floor. Very spastic. I'm kind of curious to see how he fits in. Not a very strong player, so we'll see who he can guard. I'm, I'm, a pretty, I'm not as sold on his defense. We'll kind of see how that profiles, but the guy can really shoot. So you had Porter in uh, Tier 4. We finally made it to another tier at 25 on your board. And I think Windler out, outside of the top 35. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Uh, so can we expect, you know, are, are these guys going to be getting run this year? Are they rotational pieces off the bench? I assume Garland, given the, the shape of the Cavs right now, is going to get a lot of minutes. What can we expect from these other guys? I do think both will get run. I mean, Beeline... Known for like kind of that dribble pass shoot, really spacing the floor. I think they're going to need Windler shooting, and you have to play Kevin Porter. I mean, this was a talent grab. This was an upside play at this spot in the draft. I think he's he's not going to start. He'll come off the bench, and you'll kind of see him. Maybe people are going to hate this, but in like a Nick Young kind of role, we'll kind of see if he can fill that. A swaggy K. A swaggy K. Uh, let's move on. The Mavericks did not have a draft pick this year. Uh, you want to say anything on the Nuggets? They picked up Bull Bull with the 44th pick. Yeah, again, a pure talent play. There were a lot of issues, of course, with his health, medically long-term as far, and also Intel-related stuff. But at this point in the draft, Bull has elite-level touch. He can shoot NBA threes above the break at volume. Ideally, you like him in that Brooke Lopez role as far as just taking volume threes. He can't do the whole drop coverage thing as well. He's not that strong. I don't really trust his movement skills that much because of his high center of gravity. But at this point in the draft, again, you're dealing with a generational kind of shooting prospect for a big. So I, I, can't, really, I can't really knock him much. I mean, I think that that was the concern that I saw is... is is his mobility so poor that he essentially can't stay on the court for any extended period of time? So, yeah, I get the idea of, of trying to take a flyer on someone who's got some offensive skills, but he's almost, I think those Boban comparisons are apt in the sense of, is this a guy that can actually play 25 or 35 minutes a game? 
yeah, I think the general idea is similar. Boban's way stronger. Bull probably has more mobility. Like in a straight line, he's actually pretty fast. But as far as closeout, north-south, change of direction, very poor. And his effort level at times is just egregiously bad. Like he had some low motor plays against, I think it was Iowa specifically, that you just don't see from big man prospects. It, scared, it scares the hell out of me. All right, I, I, I buy that from what I've seen. Let's uh, let's move on to the Pistons, the first of many names that I'm going to really struggle pronouncing. <laughs> um, Seku, uh, uh, take me home, Cole. What do you think about Seku? <laughs> Seku Demboya, yeah. He, he is... was in your tier three, by the way, 15th. Yeah, I, I don't mind this play at all. I mean, this is a multi-year. He's more of a second contract guy to me. And you, there's certain, like some people gravitate towards is he, immediate he's very impact. young, right? He's the youngest player in the class. Right. Yeah, he's very, very, very young. So it's a, it's going to be a process. Technically, his game is so raw right now. His closeout defense is horrendous. Some of the, the technical on-ball stuff, the rotational, he's not a very intuitive player, not a great passer, a lot of premeditated reads. But I think his shooting is really underrated as far as his touch goes. Shoots a little bit of a moon ball, so that turns some people off. But consistently, I think he's going to be decent off the catch from three. We'll kind of see what the rest of his game. He's going to get Siakam comparisons because he is a very fluid athlete. And we see Siakam in the open floor can really utilize that length extension and that body coordination. I don't think Seku is as good of a ball handler. He's, he can't really sink as low as Siakam, not as flexible of an athlete, more of an upright dribbler. I'm very curious to see how that translates. He looked, I've seen very limited highlights of him. He looked more explosive as an athlete per se, whereas I think some of the things that make Siakam successful are he's unorthodox. He's, like you said, he gets low. His strides are long. He has these sort of atypical release points and, and one-legged little runners. Um, is is that fair to say that we haven't seen any of that from Seku at all? Or, I mean, it just seems like such an interesting comparison to take a guy whose offensive game is very unique and apply it to someone so young. Yeah, we just seen a lot of Seku in transition. That's the thing is we haven't really seen it functionally in the half court. His role is very limited off the ball. Plays like kind of the Aminu role where it's a lot of floor spacing. It'll attack closeouts at times, but you can see flashes of it in in transition. I think that's what gravitates a lot of people towards him is could he be this kind of coordinated athlete because that element is there. He's explosive but not really that explosive. Like he's okay off one foot. It's more the fluidity I think that's attracting teams and attracting fans. So given that he's a second contract play, we should expect to not see much of him this year. I don't know. I mean, I think he's going to come over right away. I don't think he's a drafting stash. He's going to want to, you know, play in the NBA. I don't know if he's going to play well. Just from a utility standpoint, I think he's a second contract guy as far as when you're getting, I mean, of course, the peaks of all of these guys happen, you know, far down the road, but for for him specifically, I don't know if you're getting any immediate gratification out of his contract I guess he's more of like a second contract he's got to develop these skills he's got to refine his shot and just understand the speed of the game I think he's really going to struggle initially with how fast the NBA game is awesome I'm, I'm learning so much I'm having a difficult time even moving on to you know the, ne- <laughs> the next team so I hope I hope everyone out there is also learning with me a lot of these guys I just didn't have a lot of time to to get to this year uh, the next one I basically know nothing about Jordan Poole the Golden State pick at the end of the first round and I think after seeing the finals the big question here is does he actually play a role in terms of shooting and being able to stay on the court that could help Golden State in any meaningful way 
yeah, I think the shooting is the main allure here. He's a really talented guy. Uh, doesn't have a, a very good first step as far as a creator, but as far as confidence off the catch, can shoot a little bit off movement, can shoot a little bit off the dribble. And I think the the mindset here is what Golden State was seeking out. Very, very talented. I don't want to say cocky kid. He's, just, he's confident in a good way. The, the kinds of guys you need in high leverage situations, he has that. I think the size, like we touched on, is, is with Kobe White is not as functional as 6'6". Like he's listed as that. He doesn't play that way. He plays more like a 6'4 guard. Um, and defense is a concern. He's not as bad as his reputation suggests, but played in a very, very good defensive scheme with a lot of better defensive players. And he was clearly the worst player on the floor as far as defensively goes in that scheme. How, how do you think he stacks up relative to some of the other wings that the Warriors have tried to bring in that seem to have maybe fallen a little flat <laughs> in the last couple of drafts? He's definitely more uh, confident than a Patrick McCaw. That, McCaw's big problem is he would not take that initial shot off the three and he would try to drive closeouts and make poor decisions. Poole's going to shoot that shot. Jacob Evans, it's really hard because I feel like Jacob Evans is a better basketball player than Jordan Poole, but he kind of had something go awry with his mechanics after he got drafted and I have no idea what happened to him really so I'm interested to see what he does Poole is more dynamic as an off as an on-ball player though like he can actually do a little bit as far as maybe a pick and roll play and he's just a more talented scorer than Jacob Evans sounds good let's move on to the Rockets unless you want to uh, tell me about the um, uh, second round picks that the Warriors uh, took the Rockets had no picks so we'll go right to the Pacers they took Goga yeah, Goga is a pure talent play at this part of the draft. I thought he was, I mean, I had Grant Williams ahead of him, but he was right there as far as, no, I had Goga ahead of Grant Williams. So he was the best player on my board other than, oh, it was Brandon Clark. Okay, I'm, I'm getting this all mixed you, up. Yeah, you had, my board. you had, let's just clarify, <laughs> you had you had Goga at the top of your tier three at number yes. six. Yeah. Yeah, so as far as a talent play, I totally get this. People are going to look immediately and say, okay, well, you have Miles Turner, you have Demontis Sabonis, where does Goga really fit in? And I think this is a trend we saw in this draft is a lot of executives don't care. They're just going to take the best player on the board, even if they don't really fit. Like, he's definitely a center. Like, you're not going to play him next to Miles Turner on the perimeter, I don't think. But uh, very talented player. I think he's going to be more of the player type that's ready to contribute immediately. His progression from his first year internationally to this year was phenomenal as far as body composition, got in much better shape, really showed more agility. There's still issues with the space defense, but I thought he moved better this year and his skill level is really improving. He's definitely someone in the draft that we gravitate towards because of their upward ascension. So if he's able to contribute right away, if he's in this rotation, theoretically with Turner, you've got the, the stretch, big on offense and the rim protector on defense with Sabonis you get a slightly different wrinkle where he's not the same defensively but all that short roll all that stuff in the paint that he does is really impressive how does Goga potentially give them a different look where does he fit if he's playing one of those big spots yeah, so I think he's kind of a hybrid of both of those guys. Like he, I, I'm pretty high on his ability to pick and pop. I think he's best as a ball screen screen setter. He's not the most physical guy. He's he's physical, but he's not crazy physical. He's not like Steven Adams, but he's a very clever screener. So he'll like extend and like step out, get a piece of somebody. He usually does that pretty well. You don't see a lot of young bigs really making the effort to get contact on the screens. He's good at that. He can pick and pop. I think his coordination as a short roll guy, as a dive man, is pretty underrated. He can put the ball on the floor a couple times. Not the most high level decision maker but he can definitely make reads like I've seen him process different reads on the floor on short rolls and look for different guys and I think that's a really promising sign but he's he adds the stretch element of Miles Turner maybe not to the same degree immediately but he has more of the skill level of Sabonis but not as good not as highly skilled like Sabonis is incredible operating from the elbows on like dribble handoffs Goga's not going to be that big but he gives them a slightly different dynamic in, in both ways 
So you're making me think of something that I think you tweeted out this week from the step in. Uh, maybe Ben Rubin wrote it. Is that correct? Okay. So this this idea about uh, sort of what does he call it? The draft rules, if you will, almost like a philosophical <laughs> approach to the draft. And I'm I'm thinking about this because you just said, hey, you know, we're seeing more GMs uh, zig instead of zagging, or taking talent instead of fit, or things like that. Um, if you look at it from that perspective that that some of these ideas that he was touting um what do you think of taking you know okay i've got two bigs but i see another really talented big who i think is worth it uh you know does that fit in kind of this philosophical rule-based approach if you will I think it does in certain respects. It comes down to draft position. This is my favorite article of any that yeah. anybody writes during the draft. It's I retweeted. Incredible. I retweeted it. By the way, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. So thinking this way, I just think offers really valuable perspective about where the value is on the class. And I think like even Ben wouldn't really complain about taking Goga at eighteen as far as, far as a pure value play. Now you can factor in the analysis of what's the benefit of taking a big who might top out as you know an average starting center. Like that's a different discussion. But as far as ability and as far as drafting, just for value in in that area, I, I think it does satisfy that. Interesting. I uh, would love to hear. Uh, maybe more of those thoughts folded in because that was that was really one of the most uh, fascinating draft articles that I've read in a long time. Uh, next team is the Clippers, and they have uh, Fiondu. They took at number twenty-seven. They just like basically took the whole Florida State <laughs> roster. They also took uh, Terrence Mann after that. And any thoughts on how these guys will fit right away there? Yeah, Cabin Gelly is a little raw as far as his intuitiveness on the floor. He's got a very clear skill set. So you're going to get a lot of Ibaka comparisons with him. He doesn't move that well. Like he's a, he moves fairly well, but he's kind of a, a load leaper. So he, he doesn't springboard off the floor. You see that in his rim protection. But I do trust his ability to space the floor. He's not a passer. He's not a guy who's going to pick and pop and make a read or short roll make a read. He's very much in Ibaka kind of. You want him very refined role in offense spacing the floor but you see potential unicorn status because of course he can space from three and he can block shots and i think that's what the league is going to covet he was 35th on your board by the way at the end of tier four and so so you think he has an ability to consistently hit that outside shot I think there's, a, yeah, I, I can't say it for 100% for sure, but he's a very confident shooter. I think he's got pretty good touch. Uh, I think he can be a league average three-point shooter. We'll kind of see degree. Um, but again, I, I think that he has the foundation to thrive there. Anything on Terrence? I mean, since they both went to Florida State, anything on <laughs> Terrence Mann? Yeah, incredibly cerebral player. We saw him at the combine. Just a great passer. Uh, he's got wing size six seven. Not a crazy athlete, but tested. I think a little bit better than people thought in in, in the combine uh, strength and agility tests. He the IQ is the, his biggest selling point, and the shooting skepticism is his biggest negative. As far as can this guy make a catch and shoot three? Did not take a lot of threes at Florida State, uh, but he makes the right play. I think that he has great character. He's a really high level intangibles guy. So really, you're be you're betting on making a catch-and-shoot-three, maybe running a secondary pick-and-roll, and I honestly don't know if he's going to be capable of doing either one of those well. It's hard to completely know what the Clippers roster is going to look like next year without seeing all the free agent changes that come in, but it does seem to me, based on what you described, that they could use a really good rim protector. Do you see him being able to fill a role? Like, Is he capable of coming in and playing 15 or 20 minutes right away well on the defensive end? Yeah, I think Kevin Gelly can probably play um, a weak side rip protection coverage. The timing isn't really there as far as high level, but he will make the rotations. I don't know about positionality. 
ideally you want him at a center offensively for sure because he's not really going to put the ball on the floor at a high level, make decisions, and, and play that four role as far as attacking closeouts at a high level. I don't know if he can hold against a lot of the bigger behemoths at center full-time. I don't really know if I trust his ability to make decisions, not foul in those situations, but you can definitely try it. He's not going to start, but he will get probably rotation minutes. They'll probably ease him in. Interesting. Something to keep an eye on. Let's move on to the other team in L.A., and I, I'm actually, they didn't have a first-round pick, but you had their pick, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, in the fourth tier at number 26, well ahead of some of the other guys we've talked about. And he is just, I, I, as a guy I know almost nothing about, he's just fascinating. He's about my height and shoes, about 6'2 and change, <laughs> but he's got like a 7'1 or 7'2 wingspan. You can see it when he plays. He plays all kinds of different positions. Tell people, I mean, Twitter was buzzing about this. Tell people your kind of take and assessment on him as a player. He's one of the most unique players I've ever seen as far as physical build, like you noted, the dimensions. But then you get to his ball handling coordination, which he's incredibly coordinated right. for his size. Like, first time we saw him dribble, we were like, what the hell is this? Like, yeah. <laughs> it was just very different. <laughs> yeah, every, but, um, everything about his game seems kind of, it's just anytime you have a player to me who doesn't <laughs> fit a mold. I mean, one, you get a high degree of variability on where that player could end up. But two, it's just yes. fascinating because you start to project like, okay, is this a strength or is he a jack of all trades and master of none? Or is it that his skill set is strong enough in some of these dimensions, whether it's passing or dribble, like you said, the, the handle, uh, the defensive versatility? I mean, speak to that a little more. Is this a guy who's actually going to be able to play? The Lakers, I don't know if you know this, the Lakers have no one else on their team right now. So, Yeah, he's more of an ease in to play. He's one of the youngest players in the draft as well. Very, very young kid. Uh We'll see. He's had some intel things about maturity. I think he had like a theft charge or something. So that might have been the reason that he dropped a little bit in the class. But he's kind of a jack of all trades right now. He's not a great shooter. He has good touch on finishes, good length extension, but not a good decision maker right now. He was a guy that Iowa State faded out during the closing parts of their games. And they all they played Tyrese Halliburton, who's a basketball genius. But he was also a freshman. So you can kind of see it's going to take some time with him. He's not someone that the Lakers are saying, you know, he's going to come in and fill a role right now. We need these cost effective players. I, I think overall, you're looking at him, you know, two to three years down the road. And this is why I was kind of concerned with him, just because he doesn't have an immediate skill. And the NBA moves on very quickly, especially if you're a second round pick. I do think there was some association between his agency and clutch and of course the Lakers. So maybe that factored in as well here, but he's not someone who's going to step in and fill a role. But as far as the value of this pick, if he does hit, like he's a guy who can take pull up threes off the dribble and step backs. You watch the highlights of him and it's very intriguing. So is Intel, is that now the new code for some kind of character problem behind the scenes character problem? Is that Intel? Pretty much. Like, I'm just regurgitating what I hear on Twitter, man. <laughs> okay. All right. No, sounds good. Um, and then based on what you said, uh, very, very interesting kind of – I'm, I'm just fascinated by this guy. Yeah, and we'll see about the defense. I think defensively, you look at his profile and you say, yeah, he can switch across multiple positions. Uh, not quite as good of a switch defender as you'd think as far as movement skills. He's a little tight in his hips just by how he's built. It's very hard for him to be ultra nimble, and he's not a good leaper. So he's not going to like protect the rim from the weak side, but really utilizes his length well. Again, just one of those fascinating test cases. I'm not sure if he'll have any utility and projection because he's so unique, but it's, it's going to be really fascinating. Also, another interesting point that you just brought up with him, which is that and I don't I don't know if the general public realizes this, that sometimes you'll have guys who are sort of like second round players who are better than younger players. But if if there's no growth shown or they don't pan out or they can't get the run, 
they'll end up like having a career in Europe before they potentially come back to the league, right? It's like they'll they'll just be essentially not given up on, but there's not enough there to keep them around, and they may be the 308th best basketball player in the world, but they're not going to make that top 450 roster spot or whatever. Yeah, what NBA teams invest in you is really crucial as far as getting a second, third bite at the apple. That really matters. I mean, there's a, there's a very right, like thin margin for error when you're a second-round pick overall, especially if you're not going to produce immediately. The NBA moves on really quickly. So let's get back to the top of the draft. Memphis Grizzlies, this is uh, the team that many people were buzzing about last night, and they ended up with what a lot of people think was the steal of the draft, essentially taking Ja at 2 and Brandon Clark at 21. Let's start with Morant, obviously a very high-profile player. Just a quick overview on what you expect to see from him in year one. He's going to be dynamic in transition. He's one of those guys where the hit-ahead passes, the vision is all there. He can rifle a left-hand pass. He's actually a left-hand dominant, like the full length of the floor right to the corner shooter. So we're talking about a guy who's going to get the ball on the break, and it's going to be dynamic if you can get up and down with him. The vision, I think the passing is going to be excellent. He can hit the corner shooters on skips. Uh, Decision-making, he can be a little careless with the ball. So in pick-and-roll, I'm very, very curious to see about pick-and-roll specifically. That's the, the biggest angle that I'm looking for because he doesn't have that Trey Young, I'm going to hop into a three from 30 he's he can't really shoot without his feet set so for a modern lead guard it's going to be somewhat limiting and or team's going to under him uh he can hit shots when his feet are set though so if you give him a deep under we saw this against florida state they, they tried this tactically at the beginning of that game and jaw i think hit five threes in the first half then they started over and dropping and making jaw finish forward momentum kind of push shots a lot of teams do that of course the bucks run that conservative scheme i'm not sure if he can finish in those areas but i do expect the passing to hit immediately driving kicks uh drop off vision just fantastic passer maybe not a high level decision maker but the vision is is conservatively sub elite and probably elite very very interesting i was actually going to ask about uh, the difference between going under his screen and over his screens so in college when teams played over and kind of trailed him around the screen he basically had a harder time getting that shot off I would say it, it it's dependent on situation and competition. So against Florida State, who has NBA athletes in length across the board, he definitely struggled a lot more with that because they were forcing him right into Kamaje, who's a seven foot four center, and Kevin Gelly, who we already discussed, who's about six ten with a seven four wingspan. So these guys are big and. Morant really struggled in that game. I think it was like three of 15 from two point range. And they really altered the course of that game by forcing him into those areas of the floor. But a lot of teams can't do that. I mean, Ohio Valley, you're not getting the competition level. Jock can just jump over most of these guys, these, these, you know, six, 10 guys who can't leap at all, these interior defenders. So I think we, the Florida State game was the most important prospect game we saw all last season, in my opinion, because of how they played him. And they actually had NBA. I mean, I shouldn't say caliber personnel, but a system and athletes that at least was representative of what you'll see in the NBA. Right. So I think the biggest question for me with him, and I'm interested in your take, is where does that three point shot end up? I mean, you're you're dissecting it here, and you know, sort of talking about off the dribble and the pick and roll game, pull up, and I think that's fantastic. That obviously is going to influence how much pressure he can ultimately exert on defenses. But just even people questioning the mechanics to a certain degree and the numbers have actually been decent, right? So is this a guy you expect to come around and and basically his outside shot becomes a weapon? Or is that always going to be a relatively limiting factor in your mind? 
I don't know about weapon. That's where I struggle with him. He's a very high variance prospect. I do think he's going to shoot better than people give him credit for. Like when you leave him open, he's capable. He has that lower release, but I, I don't think it's going to be a problem off the catch. He's just not someone who can shoot off movement at all. So you can't run him off a floppy action. You can't run him off a pin down and him set his feet quickly for three. So a lot of the elite lead guards in the NBA can do that stuff. He can't. He's going to be a little bit more limited, but again, I don't think he's going to be a liability. So if you leave him open off the catch, he has NBA range right now. And I think he's going to be able to shoot shots effectively despite the mechanics. He's been a sound free throw shooter. He's been 81% both years. Not elite, but very, very promising as far as that goes. But I don't know if he's going to be dynamic as far as a high-level shooter. I tend to agree. I think early going back to what you said earlier, there's some boost that I think we have to give to the fact that he's got decent feel. And even though the shot mechanics are a little different, he can put the ball in the basket. But maybe speaking to some of the other things you're saying, maybe we shouldn't expect that to come along too much ultimately. Uh, Jaw was second on your board, and third on your board was the <laughs> other pick for the Memphis Grizzlies, Brandon Clark. Uh, tell people, we talked about him a little bit at the top, but what should we expect to see from this guy? He's a crazy athlete, uh, defensive instincts, um, but you've seen far more than I have. Tell me what we should expect to see out of the gate with him in Memphis next year, potentially playing alongside Jaron Jackson Jr., I mean, help defense. Memphis just got, in my opinion, the two best bigs in each respective class as far as rim protection, weak side, team defense, all of that in Jaron and Brandon Clark. And that's crucial to put next to Ja, who right now has been a defensive liability. But I think Brandon Clark steps on the floor. I don't think the game's going to be too fast for him. He's an elite functional athlete for his size, a generational one for six, eight. His run and jump athleticism is fantastic, but it's more the quickness off the floor is one of his biggest advantages. He's basically six, eight Zaire Smith as far as athletically, which is incredible. Like the very, very rare athlete for his size. I think he's going to score better than people give him credit for. I think the touch is incredible. His ability to score away from the rim, he can score on these push shots on these. He's very, very predictable with his left to right spin move. If you watched him over the course of his career, even in San Jose State, I'd say conservatively, he's probably used that move over 150 times. Like, it's pretty much every time. <laughs> he's this, just so athletic at that level gun. Yes. And is, is he, that he, off he, the dribble? Yes. Like, in face-up situations, you see it on a short roll. You see it in transition. Very predictable, but... The NCAA doesn't have athletes that can hang with him as far as that goes. So he'll have to diversify a little bit. But a, po a point you'll see in his discussion is people comparing him to Jordan Bell and saying Bell can't get on the floor in the finals. There are so many differences between those two players. And it starts with Clark can actually score. Like Bell, everything has to be right at the rim. Otherwise, he can't, he can't shoot at all. There's no shooting potential with Bell. He can't shoot on these runners. He's always been a guy who's a play finisher completely. And I think Clark is a, is a better passer. He's a better decision maker. And he can actually score a little bit. Defensive instincts aren't close either. Much better help defender. You've talked in the past about the ability to see ball and man and, and to kind of position yourself that way naturally is very tough to learn. I think Clark is the strongest in this class that he's very good there. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge thing for me. It's it's that is one of the steepest learning curves when when I see a guy who's young and you you can look at, you know, from my perspective, I've got so much history on the top 40, 50, 80 players ever. It's just really rare to see a guy be elite in that area who struggles with it when he's young. So if you're saying that he already has that instinct, and I, I thought out of all the prospects I've seen recently, Jaron Jackson had that instinct. I mean, he was so young at Michigan State, too. And just the first tape you start watching, he's making reads, he's hopping around, he's moving. If they both have that, that's that's going to be a fascinating defensive combination for the Grizzlies. Exactly right. And of course, nobody is really Jaron as far as being unique at that age. I've never seen that before. It was crazy. Uh, Clark is, 
yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's good I, to see somebody else appreciate. Well, that. no, I, I don't think people realize it's like it's understandable. You don't film junkie out on young players, but the so for historical comparison, the guy I always go to is Kevin Garnett, and there's two things Garnett has. One, he's constantly moving. This is a, this this motor concept. This is like a really big deal when it comes to backline help defense because as the ball, you saw it in the finals. As the ball moves from side to side or players move, you should essentially be moving with them. It's the old school on a string concept. Like that space relative to where your man is and where the ball is needs to be mitigated at all times. So one, you move a lot. Jaron's a 17-year-old kid out there. He's just always hopping around. Two, as the play, as sort of pressure from the offense moves toward the goal, so the the roll man in the pick and roll dives or the ball moves into a vulnerable position, you should just instinctively be there or be there early. And you don't watch a lot of 17 and 18-year-old kids do that almost every play. <laughs> That's the idea, basically. 100%. And I don't think even Clark's as good as Jaron at that naturally. You'll see Clark a little flat-footed at times. Like The technical stuff is can be improved upon which gives me some optimism He's, he could actually become a better defensive player but the feel and like the intuitiveness to move with the ball and kind of understand exactly when to time things that's big for me as far as you don't just rotate in, in premeditated fashion and give the other team an easy drop-off look for example like he's very good rj barrett will come out of his spin move and clark will kind of progressively rotate over from the weak side and time right, it right. right so right when right when barrett turns the corner to lay it in clark's right there for the block yeah that's it that's impressive uh does he have any <laughs> Uh, outside shooting game does he have anything that he could stretch with that's the big point of emphasis here is that he's never really shown that but I do think it requires more nuance looking at his historical context like his first two years in San Jose State he had a shot put shot it was basically from the right shoulder I can retweet it after this it was the most ridiculous shot I've ever seen like I can't I was watching his tape and I finally got to a shot and I was like I can't do it like who's ever who's ever shot with this kind of mechanics this but is, then we see but <laughs> this is me with half the prospects this year Cole. <laughs> just there can't you go, do it yeah. I just can't do it I'm, I'm with you there man it was it was a trying year I'll say but uh for for Brandon Clark I mean the progression he's made to even make his shot respectable to me, both indicates work ethic. And also, this is, again, where this touch idea comes into play. And Clark has historic touch for his size. Like All of the floaters, all the runners, you can see this on Synergy. You can see this in this two-point percentage away from the rim, which was the highest in the class this year. So I'm betting on that open catch and shoot. He's like Siakam in the sense that he's never really going to have gravity. It's more about the execution of the shot. And I think he has the touch and he has the work ethic to refine that technique off the catch. Mm, makes sense. Uh, let's move on to the Miami Heat. Really quickly, a guy you had 13th on your board in that big tier three, Tyler Hero. Quick quick rundown on what we should expect to see from him in year one with the Heat. Shooting. I mean, he's the he's the best touch in the class as far as over 90% from the line. One of those historical guys. You can see it off movement a little bit. He's excellent at one, two dribble pull-ups when you run him off the line. Probably the best skill there in the class. Uh he has six six with six three wingspan, so he's not a very heat s pick as far as this physical toughness. He's I, more of like I can a, relate to that. <laughs> so he's not like a. I was kind of surprised Miami took him. They definitely need floor spacing. I think there's some untapped upside here, though. I mean, he's a better ball handler than he gets credit for. He can function some and pick and roll. His feel is okay. Uh, defensively, it's going to be a problem. I mean, defensively, they're going to have to insulate him. I've seen him try to guard different types of players, shiftier players. He doesn't really mirror on the ball very well as far as footwork anticipation, and he can't compensate because he has a 6'3 reach. So he's not going to guard point guards at a high level. Physically, he's got to get a little bit stronger. We see that with a lot of these guys, of course. Doesn't have the stature, though, to be like a wing defender. So they're going to have to insulate him on defense, but offensively, I think there's untapped upside. He's probably going to be one of the best shooters in the class. So now you've got me curious. Is his 
is a potential ceiling for him, not that uh, the brief footage I saw he plays like him, but is a potential ceiling like a J.J. Redick-type role where you're giving up defense, but you have a guy on the court who can pull some gravity, space the floor, uh, you can run some stuff around him essentially because of his movement and shooting? I don't think they're the same stylistically on offense. Like okay. Cam Johnson, to me, is more Redick as far as off-floppy sets. Hero's not as adept off-movement yet. He's not someone who can sprint off a screen square in midair and get his tips to the basket and, and like turn in midair and get his alignment right. Like That's going to be more of a in-time thing. He is more dynamic on the ball, though. I think he can do more than Redick. He's got more ball skills um, holistically. So I, I, don't, I don't know about role. I don't know exactly how he's going to be utilized, but I don't think he's the same kind of Redick floppy movement shooter. Hmm. I love I love that answer, by the way. I don't know is an answer that I feel like more forecasters and draft folks should adopt sometimes. You'd be surprised how infrequently you see I don't know in the draft sphere. <laughs> so let's go to the uh, the Bucks didn't have a pick. Let's go to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And they ended up with another fairly high profile player in this draft. Jared Culver, a guy you also had in your tier two at number four. Uh, what are we going to see from Culver out of the gate? I think you're going to see the IQ, the ability to function in a team construct on both sides of the floor. He's a very, very good passer. This is a very strange draft because the two wings, the two high-profile wings in RJ and, and Jarrett Culver are better passers than uh, than uh, Darius Garland and Kobe White. It's just kind of an interesting throw in here. But Culver can actually function in pick and roll. You see him make skip pass reads. He's got to work on his velocity, but he can throw a left-hand skip. And you just don't see that really that often from a 6'7 player. And... It's really fascinating to me because his role at Texas Tech is going to be really different than his role in the NBA because he was the primary fulcrum, especially his sophomore year, in the offense. He's not going to get a bunch of pick and rolls as far as set against set defenses, like as a 3-5 setting. He's not good as far as first step from a standstill, but I do expect him to at least be a secondary ball handler. You can see he's more athletic when he can hit gaps and get into the teeth of the defense, make reads. His pass-out vision is really high level, and I think defensively, He's going to be able to switch some, but I think off the ball, he's better than he gets credit for. Texas Tech scheme, you know, you filter everything to the baseline. There's a lot of collapsing and taking those shots away, help rotating over to take charges, just collapsing the paint. I think he's a more intuitive uh, defender than he gets credit for. Good hands, good in- intellect overall. So I love the pick. He, he, str- he, I mean, certainly watching the end of the tournament last year, he comes across as a very cerebral player who's strong in a lot of peripheral areas, things that I love passing and defense and things like that. But certainly I think for what he's going to be in the NBA, the big question mark is not just around that shot, but even right like self-generated offense, uh, pull-ups and leaners and things of this nature. Do you see him being more of a Swiss Army knife all around type player? Does he funnel toward three and D? Do you think he can actually be a guy that is an offensive centerpiece? Kind of color that in for me, if you will. I see more Swiss Army knife. I don't see him as the fulcrum or the engine of an offense. He's just not that caliber of athlete, not that caliber of shooter, but I think he can dribble past shoot, make decisions, and play defense. I think he's the one guy in this class on the wing that can do all of those things. It's just about shot variance. And I do think he has qualities in his shot that are positive. He has a really high release angle. He can shoot over the top of guys very easily. He doesn't extend his arm out on his release. It's more up. And he can shoot over the top of like RJ Barrett pretty easily. So there is shot making upside. I think he has pretty good touch. It's just really tough to bet on the mechanics. They're so rare. I don't think I've ever seen anybody shoot quite like him as far as sometimes a little bit on the way down. It's just a very awkward form that 
it's hard to project confidently, but off the catch, I think he's going to be capable, but I don't think he's good enough on the ball as far as first step athleticism or just generally pull up gravity as well to be like the head of your offense. So I said we'd come back to this Ben Rubin piece and one of the guys he called out based on the kind of philosophical rule book that he approached the draft with was Jalen Noel of Washington. And I took a little, uh, you know, a look at some of his film and I thought, huh, that actually makes sense. A guy deep in the second round who has some of these on ball scoring skills. Did you, you know, is that a pick that also jumped out to you? Do you think he has sleeper potential? What, what did you think of that? Yeah, I had him, I think, right around 41 on my board. So I thought it was a good pick. Honestly, you see some of the subtle traits. And Washington plays in a very different system, of course, 2-3 defense. But offensively, Noel was kind of the secondary handler next to a point guard that really isn't a point guard in David Crisp. So I think his feel for the game especially is underrated. Like he makes pretty good passes. But I think the main allure with him is the scoring, the ability to get to his spots, pulling up off the dribble, that two-point percentage. He's never been a prolific three-point shooter. He's never expanded it back. So I think what Ben is kind of trying to articulate is like that athleticism and ability to get to his own spot and the general touch and the foundation for his pull-up game, hopefully extending to three in a secondary role potentially. I don't know about role as far as off the bench score or whatnot, but I think there's a little bit more ability here than he gets credit for. Right. I mean, I think if you're in the middle of the second round, and you can get a rotational piece who can come in, and even in worst-case scenario, you have like a weak defender who gives you instant offense. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of value with a pick like that. And just a guy that I'm interested – I'm always interested in the sleepers to see if anyone, any of them sort of catch or hook – uh, and so that was a guy who Ben specifically mentioned in his article, and I was curious about, ends up with Minnesota. Let's move on to the Pelicans. I almost feel like we should just <laughs> go in the opposite direction, and just everyone's going to be talking about Zion, and that's the big selling point. I mean, is there anything even to say about him at this point? We haven't really talked about him in the draft community since, like, December. Right. I swear. It's like, we pretend like he doesn't exist because he's so good. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I mean, do you have a, a sort of a counter take? Do you have a hot take that you want to dive into or something that you see? Or should we just move right to Jackson Hayes? I think my only take is relative to the rest of the draft, that they, the prospects that they selected. I think Zion is Zion. Eventually, you're going to need a guy who can dribble and like initiate an offense as a pull-up shooter. I think that's his only long-term weaknesses. We see that with Giannis in the playoffs. You need an initiator that can shoot off the dribble. I think that's the only glaring issue that, that Zion's going to have. I think, actually think he's a better defender than he gets credit for, and he will be because his work ethic is just insane. I th- like, here's my take. like How often do we see star caliber players that are wired like he is as far as motor as far as just competitive fire like he really cares like i think you can't undersell that like this guy's gonna get better i think at a very vast rate because like basketball is really important to him and you see that reflect on the floor Uh, yeah i think the defense to me is the thing that is most exciting uh it's hard to even say what his ceiling is there but you, you feel like he has a very high floor as long as he's dedicated on that end which he seems to be and yeah i mean I don't have too much to say about him. Let's. Let, I want to hear your take on the rest of this sort of haul that the Pelicans ended up with. Jackson Hayes went at number eight. Let's start with him. I like the idea to trade back. I mean, the Pelicans didn't see value at four, first of all. So moving back, I thought made a lot of sense. Hayes is really interesting. He's more of a, de- a developmental prospect. He's got excellent movement skills. He's very fluid running in transition, former football player, kind of looks like a wide receiver on the floor with the way he moves. 
I don't know about the upside relative to a fit with Zion, though. And, and I know they allured short-term with David Griffin as far as building almost a track team. Like Jackson Hayson, get up and down, was one of the best finishers of college basketball that we've seen over the last 20 years as far as his fluidity there. But for me, I envision a guy next to Zion more like Brooke Lopez. Not exactly like that, but a guy who can just take volume threes and open up the lane for him in the ways that Giannis gets these creases. And, and Zion is more explosive than Giannis is as far as lateral burst, that hop step move. I'd be very curious to see that setting. So for me, I don't see the spacing potential with Jackson Hayes. He has good touch, but his mechanics need a complete overhaul. I think it could be three to four years before you see the benefit of that. We'll see how he develops his frame, but he's someone that as you can attest to, you run him through like a stats filter and his rebounding numbers. There's never been a defensive center, a good defensive center that have had his rebounding numbers in college. Right. Right. And and by the way, for anyone uh, not up to up to why that's usually the case, the re- the defensive rebounding is just a proxy for being in those advantageous positions and guarding. So when the miss actually comes off, you a you've done your job and B you're there to grab the board. So those usually, as you're saying, like are predictive of something and the fact that it's missing there. Maybe I mean, I actually look at him and I'm wondering how much playing time you think he gets right out of the gate this year. I mean, uh, you're not thinking that he's going to be the starter, I assume. So what is what does that leave for him uh, in terms of rotational playing time? Yeah, I think they're going to ease him in. I think you kind of have to. He's not there physically. He's got a great frame, but he doesn't play to that right now. He's kind of weak physically. He gets bodied even in college. He, he can't start for you from the off, but I think he can get situational back up five minutes, especially as you move into the season and we see kind of what the trajectory of the team is. So I expect him even maybe to initially not start in the rotation at all and kind of be eased in in time as a kind of a backup rim running five, hopefully with Lonzo. I think playing with him will do wonders for his transition game. So you had him 21st in Tier 3, not too far down the board in Tier 4 is Alexander Walker, who I, I found out last night was uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander's cousin. Yep. That was that was So talk a, a little bit about what New Orleans could get out of him from Virginia Tech. Yeah, there's definitely some commonalities with Shea as far as their craft and kind of their ambidexterity. Both can pass with their left hand. Nikhil is an incredible passer for what he is as a player, more of a secondary profiling him into the NBA. Can make that left skip, right skip. Was the point guard on Virginia Tech's offense this year when Justin Robinson was injured. He can shoot. I think his mechanics are a little weird. They're a little slow because it's from the side of his head, but he's shown enough aptitude there to have some confidence in off the catch. Just a really smart player. Someone who I normally would gravitate towards. I just don't know about the athleticism translating. Not a guy with a good first step. Not a guy who has a lot of burst getting to the rim. Defensively, he plays hard. He's actually a pretty good point of attack defender as far as effort, but he's not strong. He's not like this crazy athlete. So I'm very curious to see how he translates just because the skill level is very high. The intelligence is very high. I just don't know if he meets enough of that physical stature to be the kind of player that a lot of people do. Hmm. Interesting. Let's move on to the New York Knicks. Uh, The last sort of high-profile guy from your Tier 1 or Tier 2. You had him fifth on the board, last player in Tier 2. That's R.J. Barrett from Duke. And I think it's safe to say at this point, a fairly controversial player, uh, a guy who, when he was playing with the Canadian team a couple years ago, had huge upside comparisons and now more question marks. Great passer, as you alluded to earlier. Talk to people about what the Knicks are going to get right out of the gate from this guy. This is kind of the most interesting role fit as far as what you'd want a player to be eased into. Like a lot of people see his ceiling as some kind of primary initiator type, and he's probably going to get opportunities to be that, frankly. So I think you're going to see him run the Knicks offense at times as far as 
initiating in you know two five or three five pick and roll. He's a willing passer. I, mean, I shouldn't say he's a willing passer. He's a capable he's passer when he's willing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he can make reads. Like he can hit the weak side corner guy. Um, but he does have this tunnel vision aspect when he's penetrating into the lane. Not a very shifty athlete. He's more of a bully ball when he gets downhill. Very strong. Not crazy explosiveness in the half court when you see him start from a standstill. He's more of like an open court. He's going to be incredible in transition. Like him and Mitchell Robinson, they're really going to be able to change ends. RJ's fantastic there. In the half court, it's more about roll. Do you play him on the ball? Do you play him off the ball? I'm a little bit higher on his catch and shoot. I think that when he has his feet set, he's actually a decent shooter. Not really reflected on the stats, but I think it will be. Uh, I'm more concerned about him having to take these difficult pull-ups, be able to create an isolation. We see him working on that step back with footwork-wise. He's like you watch Luca do that at lower levels, and you're like, okay, this works. Like I don't even care if it's a step slow from what people say. The the fact that he can get to a pull-up three from beyond NBA range in a one-two step back is just incredible. Like RJ is trying to do that. He's been trying to do it for the last two years. I've been watching him at like the Hoop Summit. He just doesn't have the touch for it yet. And that's going to be something that if you if you view him as this isolation kind of wing scorer, these dynamic wing scorer types almost always have, you know, dominant pull-up numbers. That, that's what they're known for. I don't know if RJ has the release point to do that. And I don't know if he has the touch to execute on these more like James Harden-esque step-back opportunities. He's definitely not James Harden. What do you think of his first step? I don't have a problem with his first step from a standstill. I actually think it's okay. I think he more struggles with his last step as far as he truncates Mm. it at times. You don't see the step alignment all the time with his game, and that really gets exacerbated by the fact that he's kind of a rigid player with his hips. Like, you don't see a lot of... Like, Jarrett Culver has excellent ankles, so you see him change directions, and you see see him kind of contort his body in midair. With RJ, that last step can be truncated. That's why you see a lot of these awkward runner shots. So that's what I'm most worried about. It's weird because at lower levels, RJ was very good at that year like he could really do that in space like he could sidestep you we just didn't see a lot of that burst it didn't really translate laterally as far as explosiveness against better athletes I'm with you in terms of that is the thing I'm worried about and then that has a cascade effect because I actually think especially given his willingness and relative skill as a passer and like you said maybe he's okay shooter the idea of him being a secondary guy, a secondary initiator, playing a slightly lesser role where he's not trying to do as much or not trying to ISO score as much, I think that to me actually looks like a great fit for him to grow into. And I get concerned with guys like that if they want to basically have that alpha dog mentality and force too much. And this speaks to some of the things you were talking about with his movement and ability to finish and rigidity. This is, this is where I get concerned. You have similarities there or you have pushback against that? No, no, I think it's very well put, and this is one of the reasons why I like Culver a little bit more than RJ. I think that he's more willing to accept a secondary role, and he's more likely to be put in that. And I think I'm, I'm a little scared about RJ in like this primary setting. Everybody's going to say DeRozan, right? Like That's like the popular comparison with RJ is DeRozan. They're statistically very similar outside of you know three-point percentage for DeRozan. Didn't take a lot of threes. But DeRozan's a better athlete. He has a much higher release point. So you watch him play in college. I watched a ton of DeRozan in college for this. And like he, he can get to shots much easier. He's more explosive. I just don't know how RJ is going to be utilized. That's the thing with me in this draft is some of these guys, it's hard to project when you don't know the context and like how the team uses them. But when you have a top three pick that has this incredible pedigree, like one of the best pedigrees we've seen as far as lower levels I'm worried that he's gonna get handed the keys and is he ever going to be efficient enough as a scorer to you know deserve that yeah and I I actually never liked the DeRozan comparison because a you know this is still a guy who functioned very well as you said in college in terms of generating his own shot and the athleticism around the rim and those just seem different to me as you just said 
And then B, you still have a guy in DeRozan who, yes, he may not have ideal forms in terms of the modern NBA, a lot of mid-range stuff or whatnot, but he grew into a guy who is still a sort of strong scoring role shooting guard who can also create offense for others has played on successful offenses and you know from where I stand kind of always been around that like not always but and in his prime that like borderline all-star-ish or sub all-star-ish kind of range and I'm just not sure I necessarily see Barrett playing that exact same role to get to that same height if that makes sense. No, I'm 100% with you. I think the athleticism is just different. RJ is just a very unique athlete. Very, To me, very stiff, very powerful, but not going to be... He's not like the craziest athlete when it comes to leaping and like exploding through contact and finishing over the top. Very physical. I just don't know if he's a high enough level passer. And with the, with the DeRozan thing, I think RJ is definitely a more natural passer. Like He's a guy who, if he does play the right way and you get him in the right kind of role in an offense, I think he can actually be somewhat valuable. Like when he can attack closeouts, his stride length to the rim is just really impressive. And I think in time right now, the tunnel vision on driving kicks is it just drives you nuts. Like he can drive into four guys and there'll be wide open teammates and he'll just try to attempt like this running floater through contact. He's got to work on that stuff. But in time you can project him and say, yeah, if he can shoot off the catch, he can attack a closeout. He can run a secondary and pick and pick and roll. That's more of what I see his role as. And his defense is egregious right now. And I think, I think as we've talked through this, I've kind of, set on a point where I would feel way more comfortable with him, ironically almost, if he went to a much better team and had to fill in that way versus yes. with the Knicks, he's going to be showcased and featured. And and when that happens, I just I get Dewan Wagner flashbacks, Cole. Um, so, okay, <laughs> let's move on to the Thunder really quickly, if you can, a guy that uh, I, I basically know nothing about, probably most of the listeners don't either. Darius Baisley did not play in college. Uh, what can we expect from him? Yeah, he's a guy I saw at Hoop Summit over a year ago, and he looked like four years away, like two years away from being two years away. He was kind of that guy as far as intellect on the floor. Just it was a step slow and everything. But you could always see the athleticism foundation, the movement skills. And then he played at the combine, and he was actually pretty impressive, honestly. He, like, he's improved a lot, in my opinion, over the last you know year and a half. He's a guy who can definitely – he has the movement skills. He has the agility on defense to switch. He has some offensive upside with his ability to navigate space. Just a very good athlete. I just don't know about – we haven't seen him in any high-leverage situations as far as can he make decisions, what's his rotational timing. All of those things really matter to me as far as making the extra pass and all the intelligence plays. He's more of just an athletic upside play. But he did, I think, he really helped us stock at the combine. He's, he's a good athlete, very, very young. The shot, we'll see about. I mean, it's kind of two-motion – I haven't seen a ton of accuracy with it yet. Wait, wait so, so, this is so, so we're, we're going to have to worry <laughs> about the shot, and he's long and athletic. And who you're saying the Thunder are interested in this player? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can't really add anything to that. It's it's a very Presti-esque pick. I, I don't think it's as bad a value as a lot of people do, but that's also because like I don't know what the actual value is. Like I, He's just a very big wild card in this class, but I can understand making this play. I had him like 30 or 31, so it was in the general range where I would have felt comfortable taking a gamble on his upside. So let's jump to Orlando. They took Chuma, speaking of a gambler upside. I mean, you had him at 19 in Tier 3, but he was one of the guys who I think in sort of the, the mainstream coverages that I saw blew people's minds going this high after the ACL tear at Auburn. Where do you see him? Uh, I mean, he's going to be coming off an injury, but what do, you, what do you like about him essentially as an NBA player? I was pretty surprised when he went here, not just the destination with how many front court players Orlando had, but just him going this high in general. I thought he was going to be more of a, a late 20s, you know, early second round pick, but one of the smartest players in the class. He's 
maybe the best wing team defender in the class as far as making rotations. I don't know if you watched a lot of Kenrich Williams last year on the Pelicans, but they're similar as far as intelligence. Kenrich has better feet and he's way older. Okiki has more length, not as mobile, um, but he does have good closeout range. So I think on the Magic specifically, it's very interesting. I think Okiki is a better shooter than he gets credit for off the catch. He can catch on a short roll. He, his passing is very, very high level. His decision-making is great. I worry a little bit about the foot speed. And Orlando loves their rangy defenders. They love a little bit of switching. I don't know how much he can really switch against lead ball handlers. You watch him defend Trey Jones at the beginning of last season and got torched. Like He's, he's not very twitchy. Athletically, he's somewhere between Kyle Anderson, which is going to you know offset a lot of people, and then Robert Covington. I think he's kind of in the middle of that as far as foot speed, explosiveness. It's going to be a problem at times, but he's just an incredibly cerebral player. So, I mean, I, I agree with you from what I saw in the tournament. And an interesting question to me then is, can he really be successful guarding any position other than non-super fast wings, like a lot of small forwards and maybe some twos? I mean, I think his ideal position to me is a four. I don't think he's a three. I think you want him in that baseline kind of rim protector role on the weak side, like kind of how the Nuggets use Paul Millsap. Not the exact same way, but that kind of defensive player. I, I don't l- want him chasing around wings. I don't want him switching ball screens, even though you have to do that at some point. But I, I don't know if he's going to thrive in those areas. Interesting. Helps a lot. Um, let's go to the 76ers. Speaking of uh, defensive talents, they took Matisse Thybul. Um, the guy is just a, a god of all steals. <laughs> um, like, I'm pretty sure broke just about every steal record that we have statistically. And, of course, from the outside, I haven't seen too much of him. But my big question is, like, is this guy completely a defensive specialist? Is he Tabo Cephalosha, or what What can we expect with him on the offensive end? Yeah, he's pretty limited offensively. It's a very hard system to evaluate him in, playing next to, again, David Crisp, Jalen Noel, other perimeter players that aren't really point guards, so they didn't really give him consistent good looks. He's someone who a lot of people think have has star upside, and this is kind of a limitation with some kinds of non-contextualized stat usage, is having you know the high steal percentage and saying, oh, he has the chance to be a star. It's like most star players have that, but it doesn't mean that if you have it, you're right, a star, right? right? It works the opposite direction. So I think he's limited offensively. He's someone who's a very passive player. Uh, he's not someone who's confident or aggressive when he gets the ball on the catch. He wants to move it quickly, sometimes to the detriment of his own team. I like players that are unselfish, but sometimes you have to put pressure on the defense in a scoring capacity that's just not he's not wired that way but I do think the shooting is a little bit better than he gets credit for his indicators aren't bad he's got pretty soft touch he doesn't have hard touch like a Charles Matthews for example out of Michigan those guys get compared a lot Thibel's the better off-ball defender Matthews better on but I do think Thibel's a much better bet to shoot with his catch and shoot touch and footwork is a work in progress he's not a movement shooter he's not someone who feels comfortable hopping into shots but on Philly I mean he's mostly going to be facing from the corners I'd imagine they're not going to run him off the reddick floppy actions so offense very limited but if you can put him next to primary infrastructure which Philly has with with Simmons Butler optimally if he resigns and then beat I think he can fill a role that way so you're saying he could be Tabo he, he potentially he could be Tabo <laughs> and as Chauncey Billups would call him Kawhi Leonard um oh god so <laughs> So you think do you think he'll actually get run with Philadelphia this year? It sounds like you do. You think he has a, a place to fit in some of these bench lineups? Yes, I do. I, I do think that I mean he's gonna have to, probably considering the lineups like Zaire Smith will play more, he'll be ready. Thibel as an off ball defender is outstanding. I mean, 
the instinct, the instincts as far as when to make plays, I think that's going to translate. Of course, everybody wants to say he played in the zone. I get that. But he's probably the best zone defender I've ever seen. And he was incredible at taking away that middle entry pass. Like, he's length and mirroring those situations. And you see all of the opportunities, all the blocks he got from behind. When in back pressure, I thought he would have been an awesome scheme fit in Milwaukee for how they go over and drop. And Ooh. like Pat Connington can block shots. Like, right. he, he would do that incredibly well. Man. That sounds like I, I'm already excited about Pat Connaughton, and now you've got me thinking of him on steroids. <laughs> um, let's go to the Suns quickly. A team, a lot of people this morning have been questioning sort of the the method to this madness behind some of these moves. You alluded to him earlier. They picked up Cam Johnson from North Carolina, tremendous shooter. My question when I look at him is, can he basically stay on the court defensively at a high level in the NBA obviously doesn't have to be day one but do you think he has that framework to grow into that going forward to really give him a nice career I think he moves a little bit better than he gets credit for as far as especially one direction laterally Um, when you get him changing directions that's a problem against lead guards I don't think he's going to get hunted because of his lack of physicality his lack of foot speed in those changing direction situations he's big he's big yeah yes but he doesn't play that like that he's not like a six nine guy that you see that play on the floor like he's more he plays more like a six six guy so he's more of a shooting guard that looks like a power forward if the, if the Suns think he's a power forward I think that's a really big mistake frankly I just don't think he's going to give you much value outside of of course the spacing dynamic but defensively he can't hold up there he's not that physical interesting I, I buy that that sounds and you, what is his wingspan do you even know what that is off the I top think of your it's head? like slightly above it's very close to his height okay so i think okay. it's like one of those six ten or six nine and a half yeah interesting uh let's go to portland another sort of big name of the night in terms of him sliding a lot of people thought nasir little would go much higher even people saying if uh, you know a year ago you projected he was a top five pick nasir went 25th to portland you had him in that tier four group Although I love the note that you put on your board. Uh, moves <laughs> moves up if he goes to the Spurs, uh, which interestingly was kind of what I thought uh, also about Lonnie Walker last year. So what do you think of Nasir in Portland? Interesting franchise, interesting fit. Talk to me about this. Yeah, that's the thing about making a draft board is you have to give yourself outs to escape. And that's what I did. <laughs> so, um, but I, <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say... Uh, I do like his fit in Portland. I love the culture fit, playing off Dame and just being able to ease him in. He was such an awesome player at the AAU level. You really saw more of a fluid athlete. He added a bunch of strength after the All-Star circuit last year, and I thought he looked much more robotic on the floor. He altered his mechanics more to the side of his head, and I thought at lower levels, his mechanics were actually really good. Like He could shoot off the dribble. He could create separation. He looked like a much better player, frankly. So He never caught on this year as far as mentally, and this is something I didn't really assess at lower levels because I don't like assessing feel in AAU use sets and like having that prior bias my my thoughts on them moving sure. forward but it's pretty clear that he doesn't feel the game at a high level i think that's just being objectively fair um, on both sides as a team defender as far as timing offensively not a passer not a decision maker and he just crashes into guys a lot on drives doesn't have that agility but i love the, the fit at 25 just a great kid someone is my favorite person in the, in the class just when you hear him talk excellent charisma just a really genuinely good guy and i think that portland will be a nice situation being under the wing of someone like Dame. The thing that I liked watching him in college was the the physical skill set and willingness to potentially be an elite defender type. Uh, obviously, as you said, feel is a huge issue there. There's only you know you can usually only get so far as a man defender. What do you think is a, let's say a realistic bound to his ceiling as a defensive player? 
It depends on the movement skills. I think that he has at lower levels. He showed the quickness to to stay with guys, but he doesn't mirror very well. And if you're looking for a stopper, a lot of those guys react to first steps. They react to jabs incredibly well. For him, he doesn't do that. So if you give him a jab, he'll like either jump off or he'll overcommit, and you can get by him. So I, I he think he has to improve his technique at a high level. That's what how he's going to have to win, though, as a switch defender. I don't think he's going to be a dynamic help defender. You're not going to use him like Iguodala, for example, and rotate down, and like he doesn't have great hands. It's more of like, can this guy switch across multiple positions and then chase guys around floppy sets that's probably what he did best in North Carolina honestly was just staying attached with that speed he can just run right through screens with his frame so you can see some elements of a high level on ball defender but it, it kind of comes down to athletically can he get back to a more mobile iteration of himself rather than the more robotic one that we saw at UNC mm. when you answer questions with it depends I get warm and fuzzy inside <laughs> I, uh, I just think I should get a t-shirt that says it depends and on the back <laughs> I don't know uh, there you go. Let's uh, speaking of the Spurs, we just mentioned them a second ago. The Spurs took a guy that maybe a lot of people don't know about. I th- I I was trying to even remember if I had seen a clip of him before the draft last night, and that is uh, Luka Samanich. Am I getting that right from Croatia? I think it's Samanich, but I'm not a hundred percent. I mean, I'm I'm interested all the time. <laughs> no, I I'm a mess with some of these names. Um, so he is a huge. He's a six eleven sort of uh, young big talk to people about what you know about him what I mean he goes to the Spurs first of all so I'm interested to hear how you think that will fit developmentally yeah from what I've heard the intel on him is very positive the intel the intel yeah (laughs) like very good indicators as far as work ethic I'm not sure what they're going to do as far as stash I've heard some rumors that you know what part of the allure this pick was keeping him overseas I, I have no idea can't speak to that as far as him coming over right away but someone who had really improved his stock at the combine he played in the first five on five scrimmage and was the best player on the floor in that game he's added a lot of strength you see that in this game he was very weak before so he's bulked up you know legit six ten six eleven with pretty good functional strength overall um the NBA covets stretch bigs above basically anything else. So from the four spot, I think that he can do that capably. He's also got a little bit of Kuruks in his game as far as hitting that accelerator, attacking gaps. I was really surprised by Kuruks last year as far as his acceleration in the yep. first. So if he can hit a three and do that, I think that's kind of the idea. And he can switch a little bit. Like, I don't know if he's a dynamic switch defender, but I think he can defend a little bit and pick and roll there. You can use him in hard hedges, even though teams don't do that that often anymore. But I think he can hold up in those situations. I'm most concerned about the feel elements like the team defense the passing he can dribble the ball pretty well like he's someone who's coordinated enough to grab and go and, and go the length of the floor it's just can he make decisions even at the combine he would like kill his dribble at times he looked kind of unnatural as a facilitator what's uh, uh semi-realistic just to give people a feel about where you think he can go uh what's a semi-realistic comp that he could grow into in terms of his play style and effectiveness I don't know if he's ever going to be this caliber of shooter, but conceptually, someone like Miritich, and apologize for the international comparison here, but someone like that, without being like the incredible bomber that Miritich was, Miritich is a little bit more skilled, in my opinion, too, but that kind of stretch four can play the five at times. Ideally, you don't want him there because of the rim protection and his lack of incredible size, but I think that kind of player conceptually is what he's going to have to win as. Got it. That that helps uh, uh, tremendously, I think. So last team with a first-round pick is, man, last but not least, my goodness, the Washington Wizards. And, Make it stop. Uh, yeah, just <laughs> – so I don't even know what to do here because um, Rui Hachimura was – was he even on your top 35? I, I no, think, he was like – he was 37, I think. Yeah, and I know a lot of other uh, – 
hardcore draft guys had him in the 30s or 40s. Certainly someone that both when I watched Gonzaga last year and reviewing some of the tape, uh, I, I, I certainly didn't think he looked like a first-round pick. And he went ninth. So what do you think, Cole? <laughs> just... I, I don't have good thoughts. Okay, I mean, right. I'm just... <laughs> uh, I, he, This is probably the biggest embodiment of the difference between i guess eye test scouting and analytic scouting even though i hate that like it's just if you use your eye test and you watch him play it's like there's no way this guy's a lottery pick i'm, I'm sorry like the well, physical well they go are- together right they, they go together so if you if you only rely on one or the other then you're you're kind of missing the contextual connection point where they touch well, that's a smart point, man. I don't know if we were too accustomed to those kinds of... <laughs> but uh, I think for him, it's more of like the eye test component of just the physical tools. Like when you look at his frame, his frame's incredible. He has the length. He has enough movement skills. I think he's kind of overrated at times as an athlete. But the NBA covets scoring, and they value that. They, they, th- they see him as this mismatch scorer, so he's nimble enough to get around slower fives. And he is big enough to where he can drop his shoulder in space and really explode through you know, smaller players. He's going to be able to get to his pull-up. He's got a really high release. So I get the, the theory of him. Right. But- I mean, Is that the idea there, that they're just basically thinking – He's going to develop into a monster mismatch scorer in isolation, and anything else that fills out around that is essentially gravy, and he's such a good athlete that he'll be able to stay on the floor. I mean, I, I'm trying to understand the, the logic, help people understand the theory behind you know where this could go. Yes, I think the theory is exactly that kind of a He's not the same caliber of athlete as Jabari Parker was coming out, but that kind of player um, with less explosion. So that kind of face-up score that you can get baskets, it, that's the kind of archetype that I think gets overvalued in the draft consistently. All right. Well, before we let you get out of here, I appreciate taking uh, the, the, you know, the quick, a quick five-minute run through, uh, through every NBA team's draft pick. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, any other sleepers, thoughts? I mean, there are guys on your board that weren't even drafted. Um, you know, t- just let the people know what to expect, sleepers or guys that are undrafted that are still out there. Yeah, I think Terrence Davis is someone really high-level athlete from Old Miss. I think he signed with Washington. This is really weird about Washington is they signed Justin Robinson too to a multi-year deal. He was undrafted as well. I actually like those moves more than both of their draft picks as far as Rui where he got they got him and then Admiral Schofield where they got him. Right. You had you <laughs> so, had Davis 29th. Yes. So I really liked him. I, I think he's going to fill a role, can really get up and down, play in transition. My favorite sleeper in the draft was actually Cody Martin, who went 36, I believe, to the Hornets. I did not expect him to go that high. I was like, this guy might go undrafted. I love his potential dribble passability. Has some elements of Sean Livingston in his game as far as cerebralness. It's just a question of, again, of can he shoot the NBA three? But he got drafted at the higher end of where I expected. But I expected, I, I think he's going to fill a role for the Hornets. I really like their, their draft overall with him and PJ. Of course, he has ties to the state. So maybe that was part of their <laughs> analysis process with Cody Martin. But uh, I really like that destination. It's a very deep draft, though. There's a lot of picks like Shamori Pons was, you know, a dynamic lead guard S player out of St. John's. I think Houston picked him up undrafted. You could have probably put together a very legitimate list of 10 to 15 guys this year that were gets as undrafted free agents. I think perhaps the most interesting thing about this draft is how flat sort of quote unquote flat it is between you know wherever you want to draw the line four or five and 20 25 30 and then what that exposes about the nuances of your scouting or the nuances of your philosophical approach to player development when players are really far apart 
as public, you know, as the public, we kind of look at the draft in a very groupthink way and we say, oh, this guy's top 10 and this guy's here. And the lines are very clearly delineated. And I think the most fascinating thing about this draft is seeing not just variants in draft boards, but watching the thing unfold last night and thinking like, okay, wow, teams do this very (laughs) differently, right? Teams do this very differently. And we get to see how inexact of a science this is. And maybe, I don't know, maybe some people are uh, more in tune to that than others. I'm just fascinated to see how it plays out. Nobody really ever thinks the same in the draft as far as, I guess, different groupings. You have a lot of groupthink within the group. But then when you break outside of that, they're going to be a a completely different vantage point. Guys value different skills. The NBA values things at a different you know, in a different way than quote unquote draft Twitter does. And even like mainstream draft coverage, there's a lot of divergent opinions there. Right. And then even within an organization, you're thinking about the skills you want to develop, the system you have, the coaches you have, you know, even I've got a great shooting coach, so I think I can shore up that weakness or whatever it is. It's really, it's really just a fascinating uh, year for me to touch on all those points. Before I uh, let you walk out the door, Cole, who do you think was the the big winner? I won't ask you for a loser. Who do you think was the big winner in your mind last night? I can't use Zion because it's so no, obvious. No, you can't so do I'll that. S- That's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll say Memphis. Again, I, I'm supernaturally high on Brandon Clark. That could look really bad with his measurements, but I'm always going to bet on instincts. I'm always going to bet on intelligence, especially that combination with enough skill, meeting that threshold, and then elite-level functional athleticism. I think pairing him with Jaron Jackson is one of the best fits in the draft. I, I'm kind of skeptical about Morant just because the road he has to climb is so high to be a primary initiator on a very good team. I think he can do it, though. So I, I think Memphis really nailed the draft of those two guys. Awesome. Tell people where they can find your work. What else is going on in your life? Uh, yeah, don't bother me for the next 11 months. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, on Twitter at Cole Zwicker, at thestepian.com. We do not have draft grades up. Instead, Mike Gribbenoff, who is our... I mean, he covers everything, but he's our high school guru. Just did a 2020 big board last night. So that is the kind of content you'll get on the Stepian. And I frequently appear on Sam Vecini's Game Theory podcast. So if you want some prospect breakdowns, we'll probably do some summer league content in there. You can check that out as well. Once again, a very special thanks to Cole for spending all that time going through those players. I hope you found it worthwhile. It was incredibly educational to me and very interesting to hear a lot of his philosophical takes on the draft. As always, a big thanks to Patreons as a way to thank you for all your support this year. I put out a very special NBA Finals breakdown. That's on backpicks.com for the Patreon insider tier. That's $4 tier where you get access to uh, my historical database and things of this nature. But in this case, very special breakdown where I give you the top six players in the finals, film study, film review, break down their entire work. So check that out if you haven't already, if you're a Patreon. If you want to support and help me make this and get access to some of this, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. It's patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. As always, thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you in the next episode, and I hope you're having a great day.